Just one game this week, away at Wimbledon on Saturday. Starting with Wimbledon fan Mick, he thought the first equaliser was over the line. Wimbledon should have been out of sight but didn't take their chances and he adds that the crew fans were excellent. Tim Robinson thought Wimbledon were impressive and to take a point after you've been second best led to amazing scenes in the away end. Callum Sessford thought it could have been 18-1 but he's buzzing after the crazy end of the game. H. Robinson loved the absolute scenes in the away end, following a game of being outplayed. Matt Snape describes this side as the most resilient side he's seen in 20 years of watching the Alex. And Luke Bevington has a real love for this group of players, as they just don't give up. Steve Grice thought we stole a point from the Wombles. First half was poor, second was better, but we never imposed ourselves on the game. Joe thought Crew had given themselves too much to do after the first half, but this team doesn't give up. Trevor Griffiths thought Wimbledon were good, but their time-wasting caught up with them. Rob Murray believes a sign of a good team is to get something when they're second best, so he's happy after being out for and outplayed. Dylan describes it as daylight robbery, but we'll take it. Panini Union described it as frantic madness, such a weird match. Captain Britain says awful first half again, better second half again. Is there a pattern emerging for anyone else? Adam Turner wants to know if we shouldn't be asking why we're so strong second half, but why are we so poor in the first half? Andrew Bamforth picks out Nevitt for praise, saying he is coming good. James also mentioned Nevitt. He gave him some criticism last season, but he's turned it around so far. Graham Miles picks out Lee Bell. Kudos to him, again, whatever he is saying at half time is working. There's great unity in the squad. Eddie O'Grady thought Bell played the wrong formation first half, which led us to be overrun in midfield. We need to be prepared to make changes earlier. Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Railway Men podcast. To talk us through Saturday's game at Wimbledon, I am joined by Steve Hatton. Hello, Steve. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. Mark Bertels. Hello, Mark. Hi, everybody. And making his second appearance on the pod, Darren Stevens. Hello, Darren. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Not a problem. Okay. Um, Steve, I'll start with you. I'm tempted to break with tradition and just start with the 100th minute of that game on Saturday. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that. It might pop up. But unfortunately, uh, we do need to address the first half. Um, I was sat at home watching it. You three were all there. From my perspective, I thought we were absolutely woeful and outplayed in that first half. Agreed. They. Um, I thought... We lost all the duels, every individual battle we lost, every 50-50 we lost. We couldn't get a foothold. We couldn't get hold of the ball. We couldn't build up any pressure. I think because of that, we tried to go long. And every time we went long, it just came straight back. Um, I think the reality is it's somewhere between we weren't really at the races and they're quite good. And they were a bit more incisive and a bit more dynamic into the tackle than us. And we just seemed half a yard off it across the board in every single department. 
I'll be perfectly honest, getting to half-time at 2-0 was a bit of a result because it could have been utterly out of sight because they missed not just half chances, but they missed those two very, very, very good, respectful chances that they should really have put away. So although it was grim at half-time, I think the general feeling as we all queued for 90 minutes for a beer um, was, yeah, it could have been considerably worse. Darren, one of the things that I think about this crew team is that they are probably, and I haven't seen all of the teams yet, but probably one of the best passing sides. And I think what Wimbledon did in that first half that Steve just sort of mentioned there is they stopped us doing that as well as they could, that we couldn't really break out of their uh, their press, really. Um, is that how you saw it? And what did we do in the second half, maybe, to change that? Or did we change it? Yeah, no, I, I I saw it more or less in the same way that that, that Steve just um, described. The only the only thing I'd I'd say is that I think Wimbledon did actually play really well in the first half, and it's difficult to calibrate how bad we were and how good they were. I mean, Steve Steve is right, and it's quite interesting because, of course, Lee Bell and Elliot Nevitt in the interviews after the game both acknowledged that we didn't it would didn't play very well. Wimbledon, of course, like us, have only lost once. Um, and they lost last week at home to Stockport. And you listen to the manager after that game and in the build-up to the crew game, and they they obviously spend all week talking about getting on the front foot um, in the first half. So, and I think they're a decent side. I don't think they'll 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 finish near the top, but I think they're a decent they're a decent side and they played very well. In the second half, it looks like we. It was very interesting because. For various reasons, I was actually in the West Stand yesterday, just right behind the dugouts. So I was sitting about two rows back from uh, Lee Bell and the crew um, dugout, which was really interesting. And we we know how many tactical changes they've made at various points during the whole season. And you could see Ryan Dicker, Lee Bell, Kenny Lunt get together before they went back into the tunnel after the players with a bit of a conflab about what they were going to do. And they came out and they did change it. Williams, Zach Williams came on for Conor O'Reardon. Um, looks like there was a bit of an injury there. And they went through it back and, and changed it round. And and obviously that paid off after about five minutes. Although just like Swindon, it was totally out of the blue, that first goal. Um, you didn't even see it coming in the first five minutes of the second half, but it was very welcome. Um, before we get onto that bit, Darren, Mark, um, Darren's just said the Wimbledon, sorry, the crew goal was out of the blue. You didn't see it coming. Um, I absolutely did see Wimbledon's goal coming beforehand. They missed a couple of absolute certain chances, including one where they put it wide when he was through on goal. Um, talk us through the first Wimbledon goal, if you don't mind. First of all, um, I'm going to disagree with Darren in as much as it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Wimbledon finish near the top, if they can sort out their second half form, which I believe is an issue for them, they impressed me. I thought they were one of the best sides I've seen. Um, I was surprised. And I, I, I don't really know if that was a bit of arrogance from me. I just didn't expect Wimbledon to be that good. Um, I think they, they snapped into us. Um, but I think basically they had the perfect game plan to, to play against crew and, and executed it perfectly. We just couldn't cope. Um, the the first goal, you know, watching it back, Luke Offer gets pulled out to the to the uh, the right hand side by Hamadi, um, and basically just skips past him far too easily. It's very unlike Luke Offer. Gets to the uh, the byline and, and pulls the ball back. Um, now I really like Ryan Cooney. 
I, I think we've dropped on there. I think he's a really exciting fullback. Um, but basically, is it, it? How am I pronouncing the, the guy that scored? Is it Newville? Yeah, Newville. He got across Cooney to score the goal, and and it's basically he wanted to reach the ball more than Cooney. You know, uh, the, the desire was more. You watch it back and slow it down, and and he he, he gets across the front of him. He wants it a bit more. And he, it was a good finish. You know, keeper's got no chance. And um, as you say, we, we could have already have been behind. So it was no real shock to see it go in. Yeah, it was um, disappointing, but not surprising. I think I think the goal and Rooney, uh, Cooney's lack of anticipation there kind of encapsulated the whole first half. If that, that summed up the desire they had and how we were off the pace and, and his desire to get across, like you say, kind of encapsulated the whole team in that first and majority of the second 45 as well, bar the last 11 minutes. I'm I'm glad you picked out Cooney because I've written down in my notes, that the question I was to ask is who's at fault there? Because I think I agree offered is pulled out, but then he doesn't really do anything to stop the cross if you look at it, Joel Taverner sort of dangles a foot, but he's not really putting 100% in. And then in the middle, you've got O'Riordan, Dimitriou and Connor Thomas. They all sort of fall over, but they don't actually move towards the ball. They just fall over and stick a leg out. And then Cooney, I think it's just simply mm-hmm. beaten to the ball. So, I mean, I was going to ask you who you thought was at fault there, whether it was just a team effort to concede that goal. But Mark, you've said it's Cooney. Uh, I think well, I, I would I would put off with it, it, it as much at fault yeah. as Cooney, um, but I think you're right. I think that's the first time really this season that um, the majority of the players have fell short in terms of performance. They all looked a little bit off it for some for whatever reason. I mean, it was really warm, but it was warm for Wimbledon as well. Um, so we can't use that as an excuse. We've had a free week. Um, bizarrely, that might be the reason. You know, maybe. When there's a Tuesday match, there isn't that time to switch off and, albeit the players need a rest. I think we we did. We looked a yard off the pace, and I, I'm I'm sure Lee Bell will want to know why, but I I can't really put my finger on it. Whether it's a free week and he's rested them too much, I don't know. Um, mm. But I would I would say in in that instance, it's offered in uh, in Cooney. But as a team, we were off the pace. Mm. I'd probably go more for offered myself. Um, I think. Essentially, what Mark says, and I've I've watched it back in in, in slow motion as well. And uh, you must be right, Mark, because if you think about it, they their 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 goal scorer did get ahead of Cooney. I thought when I watched it, Cooney at least was you know had stayed close to the guy he was supposed to be marking. I thought that um, Al Hamadi, I think it is the number ten on the right hand side, got passed off a little bit too easily. The goal itself. I wasn't too critical of it, which you know, in itself, because the ball was sort of squared slightly back, and you ended up with Thomas and Demetrio on the on their backsides, if you like, um, and and the guy just got his right foot in front of Cooney, didn't he? And 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 beat Davis, and I didn't think he had any chance. But it looked to me like it was a little bit soft getting part of past offered. On the I'd right probably be a little bit harsh on Cooney, to be fair. I mean, from a centre forward's point of view, it was a good goal. You know, he's running onto the ball. It's coming behind Cooney. Um, he did try and make a, a tackle, but from from Hamadi's point of view, it, it, not Hamadi, the guy that scored Newville, it's it's a, a really good finish. Yeah, Steve, uh, it wasn't that long from one to two. Um, this one again, I just 
I, th- I think we've been quite positive towards the defence this year and maybe maybe possibly too positive when we look at the fact we haven't kept a clean sheet in the league this year. But I think Wimbledon really sort of exposed any faults we had. And that second one, again, we had chances to clear it. He got a shot off, Davis saved it. And then the guy who scored, I mean, he missed the shot and he still had time to sort of swing a leg, gather himself, compose it, turn and then put it in. It just it wasn't very good, was it? I think the whole the whole kind of move that led led to the goal. Um, I think there's a fifty fifty that inevitably in that first half was lost, and then the play just kind of opens up for the centre forward, and he has a dig. And I've been critical of Davis, but I thought he played very well yesterday. Um, I'm thinking, could he be palming that shot? somewhere else it was hit quite well but he's kind of pushed it back into into the danger area rather than pushing it wide which he does a little bit later when there's a shot and like you've suggested um tilly has an air kick but he's still allowed time then to get the ball to set and he kind of uh twinkle tells his dimitriou and i just think dimitriou could be a bit tighter there um bearing in mind he's missed his kick first of all and we still allow him time to set take a few touches and then dink it in the bottom corner. And I just think I'm looking at Dimitriou there thinking you've got to be tighter. And is that uh, a kind of centre half being pulled out of his position, being a bit wider there in that one-on-one against a wide player. And I recognise he's played left back, but he's really a centre half, isn't he, Dimitriou? The the way that I saw that goal um, was, well, if we go back sort of 15 minutes, I'd actually said to... uh, to, I think it was Aaron who sat by me. Because um, it's a strange stadium, that. I've never watched a football match from a corner before like that and that low. It was difficult to judge what was going on. But what I did say is that it, it allowed me to see just how good Conor O'Riordan actually is, close up. But then he went down injured. Um, and it looked to me, for the last sort of 10 minutes of the half, he was carrying a knock. And I understand, I'm not going to be critical of the manager, because I understand that, you know, let's get to half time and see if the physio can work his magic with a sponge but maybe he should have taken him off with hindsight because he he lost out on a 50-50 in the build-up to that goal and I don't think a fully fit Conor O'Reilly would ever lose out on a 50-50 I think he just wasn't going in how he had been previously because he was carrying a knock and obviously he had to go off at half time um, so it it was a bit frustrating you know it's you're damned if you do and damned if you don't if you take him off and he, he can carry on then you've You've wasted a sub, so it's difficult. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I'm going to take full responsibility for that second goal because when he swiped the air um, and missed his kick, I uttered the words out loud, it's a good job they can't finish. Um, and within 10 seconds, the ball was nestling in the bottom corner. Um, it was close to the keeper as well, but I've watched it back and I think it comes to a sea of legs. So, um, And I'll be honest... At that point, I'm thinking, regardless of the, the comebacks this season, I thought that was it, game over. Yeah. The only thing I'd, I'd add is it's what Steve said about um, Harvey Davis. And I was somebody who was uh, more positive about him early on in the season than many other people that I heard speaking. Uh, I spoke positively about him when I was on, when you kindly invited me on after the Swindon game. But the one the one thing um, I do think we've seen with him, and I agree with Steve, is where he parries the ball out to. I think there's room for improvement because I've watched that one back and I think he could have either pushed that one out wider or around the post and it didn't need to go where it went. So I think there's room for improvement there. 
yeah, I was less convinced with Davis on that second one than the first one for that point. But then also for the shot, I mean, it does go through a lot of legs, but it's not in the corner and it's not particularly hardly, like strongly hit. Uh, I don't think he had much of a chance with the first one, but the second one, I think, yeah, it's very disappointing. Um, Mark, I was the same going back to your point you just made. It got to half time, and I know I've sort of been pushing this second half FC tag on Twitter and everything. And, you know, and it, the, the proof is in the pudding, really. That is what we're doing. But I genuinely thought yesterday, Saturday's game was beyond us watching that first half. It just looked like they were fitter, they were stronger, and they were just more up for it. And, like, I don't think, I don't agree that shouting the word passion at football players is going to make them play better. I don't agree that passion wins football games a lot of the time. But yesterday, it did seem like it, they just wanted to win more in the first half. It just seemed like they were more up for this game than we were. Well, I mean, you, it, it will come to no surprise to you that um, I went for a, a wee at half-time and, you know, you're sort of seeing people and you're giving the old... I, I hope there's more to it than that, Mark. Yeah, there is. Not... Yeah, that's not the surprise bit. That's... <laughs> But, but, you know, you, you see people that you know and sometimes you don't say anything, you just roll your eyes at each other and people you know a little bit better will say, well, that was shit. And and, and a couple of people said to me with a chuckle, don't worry, it's second half FC, we, it, it's what we do, you know. But I don't think deep down anybody really believed it um, in that half-time uh, interval that we, you know, you, you think, well, we've been here before, but we've, we've been that poor. Um, I, I like what Darren said about um, Kenny and uh, Lee and Ryan having a, a, a little get-together before they go in the changing room. Because I think there is a time and place for tearing shreds of players. But me personally, as a human being, I think it, the, the time for that is that after the 90 minutes or on the Monday, the training ground. I think when you're 2-0 down like that and you've not played very well, yeah, you can go in screaming and shouting, but I think it's more constructive to think, well, we've been poor, let's figure out a way to get back in it and we'll give the bollockings out on Monday or at the end. You know, and I think I hope that's what they did. You know, I hope they got together and said, all right, it's been poor, what are we going to do about it? What can we do to get back in it? Um, and, you know, without jumping too far forward, the the uh, the first goal came at almost the perfect time. Mm. I, I think I'll, I'll move on to the second half, but just to go on that. I think he did actually say in his interview, Lee Bell, that he did have a bit of a go at them at half time. And I think he doesn't normally do that, but I think he thought it was needed this one. Uh, but, we'll right, but I just don't think he went in throwing teacups around. I think it was a, you've been shit, but right, let's look at how we can solve it. Right. Okay. Let's move on to the second half then. Um, Darren, I'm going to come to you. It's the first time you've been on the pod with me. So I'll give you the honor of talking about the first crew goal. Um, Watching on telly, it looked really easy. Ryan Cooney got the ball. He put a cross in that split the defence and the goalkeeper and Taberner strolled in and tapped it in. Surely there's more to it than that. Not really. And, I'm, and I've watched it back, obviously, as well as seeing it live. And as you say, Cooney is out very wide on the right-hand side. It's about halfway inside the, the Wimbledon half. And it's one of those... Because when you say crosses, if you hadn't seen it, you might you might envisage kind of a high ball going into the box. But it was one of those that was slightly curled with his right foot um, behind the Wimbledon defence. It was one of those balls that just seemed to keep going and going and passed everybody by. And then Taberner came in. He was you could see he was anticipating when you watch it back, and he was just watching this ball, thinking that might end up coming to me. And, and it does come through to him. And actually, when you when I watched it live, I thought, well, that was a tap-in, a really easy one. And clearly, it was a tap-in. 
about eight yards out. But actually, when you when you when you freeze it and you watch it on slow motion, it was a very good finish because the ball was bouncing a little bit, not not very high, but it wasn't completely rolling across the pitch. It was going across him, so from his right, and because he's left footed, the goalkeeper was in front of him and he put it back, which was very clever the way it came from because of course the goalkeeper was moving from his left to right. So it was it was a really good finish. It would have been. We've all seen them blazed over the bar and what have you. Um, so it was a it was a better finish than I think it looked. I think that cross from Cooney um, was possibly the pass of the match. Absolutely undefendable. Keeper's not going to get it. Defenders can't get it. And it was really strange because actually he was quite far out on the touchline from what I see. And he wasn't under that much pressure. And part of me thought he's released that too early. But it was a fantastic pass. Um, possibly designed for CBR, but he's just put it in an area. And I just think it's a cross that you can't defend against. You just stole my thunder, actually. I was I was going to say that if that was a, a Premier League fullback, and we're watching that on match of the day, I think you know Shearer and Murphy would be waxing lyrical about it. It was a, an absolutely amazing ball. Um, you're right; it was deep, but it was extremely. Uh, in he did it on purpose, is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't an accident. Um, the pace on it. The delivery, everything was perfect. I think, is it long? It, it beats at the front post. But that's enough to obviously draw the defender in and the keeper's got to anticipate that he might get to it. And then as Davin's alluded to, it's a really tidy finish. And Lee Bell said afterwards that he's Kenny's been on and on to, to Joel to get in the box to score more goals. And so we'll credit Kenny with that one as well. The eighth goal scorer of the season, I believe. I, I've not looked up the stats Uh but I do sort of wonder how long it took us to get to eight goal scorers last season. I can't imagine it was midway through September, though. Did we even do it? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe maybe not. Just Dan Ajay and a couple of others last year. OK, um, as the game went on, though, um, we've, we scored in the 51st. And I thought, right, that's loads of time, you know. Second half FC, we'll get the other one on the 60th minute, carrying on that run uh, of weird scoreline coincidences this year. And then we'll score another and we'll win it 3-2. Um, we didn't score in the 60th minute. And, Mark, I start to lose faith. Uh, I was sat at home watching it. Uh, you were all in the stand with about 600 and something uh, crew fans. Was that the feeling at, at the game? Or was there always this belief that, no, come on, we're going to do it again like we've done it all season? No, I, very much with you. When that first one went in, you think, it's going to happen. We're going to do it. It's happening again. Um, but I, I'm actually going to credit Wimbledon because... Um, almost immediately or certainly within five minutes of us having our tails up, uh, they managed to kill the game again and they did it really well. They settled back, they regrouped. Um, and to be honest, that wave of pressure that you would expect after scoring just after halftime, it never really came. Um, I, I remember looking at the clock and, and seeing 17 minutes thinking, well, we've got 20 minutes, there's plenty of time. And then you sort of look across again and it's, it's almost over and, no, I didn't see it coming. I, I really didn't. I um, As the half progressed, I actually thought they were more likely to get another one and kill it off completely. Um, so, no, I, I, I never saw it coming, not personally. I, I agree with Mark. The goal was just an anomaly. It didn't, it didn't have any impact in the game. We didn't build up ahead of steam. It just looked like a blip for Wimbledon because we didn't, we didn't use it as an impetus to drive forward or build up any kind of pressure. The game was just the same as the first half. It's just we scored totally out of the blue. Um, and like you, I looked across at the clock and it was 75 minutes. And 
I think the atmosphere had gone a bit flat and a lot of people were sitting down and it looked like we thought we're never going to get anything out of this because they were just still on top and could have added more. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things yesterday is we didn't really get going. I'm, we are building up to, you know, those last minute scenes uh, at the end of this little chat. Um, but I just don't think that we were allowed to play. Even that goal that we did score eventually, it wasn't really crew with Jack Powell, Joel Tabner sort of playing these nice little packs and intricate moves. Um, there was a moment before the goal, though, where we did score, maybe. Uh, the referee gave a, an offside from a corner which I'm not sure I've ever seen before. Um, my friend who was at the game, he said um, it definitely crossed the line, uh, but he also did admit that he's a crew fan and he may have seen what he wanted to see. Um, Darren, I'm not going to ask you because you've just told us you're on, the, you're on the halfway line, but Mark and Steve, you were in that corner. Did Zach Williams header from that corner cross the line or not? Or what happened? It, it looked to me like it did. It looked like he'd crossed the line and the keeper got his body on it and just tried to smuggle it back over the line. But like you, I think it wasn't ruled out because it hadn't crossed the line. It was ruled out for a, a mystery offside from what I could see. But certainly from from my perspective, and I was just kind of four or five seats up from where Mark was sitting, um, it looked like it went across, but the keeper then quickly, you covered it with his body and kind of dragged it back over. It absolutely, without doubt went over the line a good yard over the line even though the keeper managed to, to scoop it back um unfortunately i was so tired last night that i, I didn't to do my usual saturday night and analyze every kick so i did it this morning um and i'm such a nerd that i watched it and watched it and watched it and paused it and uh, chris long was a judge to have been offside he was standing um more or less on the goal line and I've watched it so many times this morning. He wasn't offside. Wimbledon had a player on the line that was slightly behind him. And I paused it right as, because I'm such a geek, right as Zach Williams heads it, I'm looking and he's onside. And it, the goal should have stood. Um, so as, as unexpected as the equaliser was, there was a little bit of um, justice served there, I think, because it, it was wrongly ruled. I mean... I've had to slow it down and pause it and pause it again and run it back and pause it again and stare at the screen. And yet the linesman was, I don't know how many yards away, and he was convinced enough to put his flag up. Um, it was, he guessed, didn't he? He'd got no more idea that he was offside than I had. So, um, mm. yeah, justice was served eventually. Yeah, I think uh, my friend and I, who told me it was over the line, I think we concluded that oh, they weren't sure an offside was the least contentious decision they could give in that situation. So, that's what we went with. Um, about 100 minutes into the game then of a 90-minute match of football. Um, I'm I'm just going to leave it with you guys. I believe the parlance of the day are scenes and limbs. Uh, Darren, can you explain what happened in the 100th minute of the game? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we've all watched it back. And uh, to be precise, I think it was 99 minutes and 29 seconds when the ball crossed the line, just to give us an idea. And been been a bit geek like like Mark. Um, I, I think there were eighteen minutes and twenty seconds of added time in the whole game because it ended up playing um, fifty eight minutes and seventeen seconds in the second half and three seconds over fifty minutes in the first half. And by the way, just before we get into the goal, I think it's really important to say that listening to what Wimbledon have been saying since, and to be fair, the um, the manager and the the player that was interviewed had played it down, but their interviewer was trying to get them to say that there shouldn't have been as much stoppage time. But it's absolutely right that there was that much stoppage time because 
if you watch it back, uh, there's a there's an injured player and the ball goes out almost exactly on 88 minutes and it doesn't restart until 92 minutes 48 seconds. So it's nearly five minutes just between that those that period where there's no play and there was a lot of stoppages in the game. You used the term injured loosely there. I don't think he was injured at all. No, no, sorry. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if he was. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, you're right, Mark. And it was interesting because I was I was trying to lip because one of the things that happened was uh, the board never went up. And of course, everybody's been saying that since. And nobody knew how many minutes had been added on. But because of where I was sitting, Lee Bell was very agitated at this point because there'd been a problem with the Wimbledon substitutes that had taken so long. And um, I, I saw the fourth official mouth to Lee Bell that it was 11 minutes. But Lee Bell was trying to say back to him, is that 11 minutes from now? i.e. 93 minutes, another 11 minutes, or is it 11 minutes from the 90 minutes? This is this is quite an important point, but it was 11 minutes, but nobody knows. They ended up playing um, 13 and uh, 17 seconds, 13 minutes and 17 seconds, but it seems to be 11 minutes. So anyway, it um, starts with a Davis header, doesn't it? It comes out of his penalty area, it bounces up, he heads it, it goes to Offord, Offord's facing his own goal, he turns around, he hoofs it up, uh, I think it's a Dimitrio header. It ricochets off uh, Pell, the Wimbledon player. Goes to Nevit. Um, absolutely brilliant from Nevit. He actually touches it twice with his right foot and then strikes it into the corner. And it's in from the minute it leaves his foot. I don't think we'd be happy if it was our goalkeeper. I think he should have been further over. But we, we, we don't care less, do we? Because it was a magnificent left-footed strike from Nevit, and then I'll let the other guys say what happened after that because it was absolute pandemonium. I don't think I've ever celebrated a goal for a draw quite as much. It was absolute mayhem in there. I mean, I, I didn't do the run down the um, steps to the front. I'll let Mark talk about what that felt well, like. Steve, some of us know how old we are, don't we, Steve? We do. Um, I, I, I kind of I left that to the young bucks down the front, and I was staying in my seat, thinking, "But that'll do." But yeah, it was it was carnage in there, and I couldn't believe it had gone in. And, and like like Darren said, I think the keeper, if that's our goalkeeper, we are absolutely fuming because he's got to save that. But who cares? It was absolute mayhem. I think there'd been a lot of pent up frustration after the disallowed goal, after the faffing around with the injury time. It, I think people had slowly kind of, like I mentioned earlier, the atmosphere dropped a little bit because it didn't look like we were going to get back in it. But the goal and, and the agitation over the board meant that actually people were pumped up again. And this was just the release, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, um, Charlie Kirk, last minute against a team that's not too far from crew. I remember celebrating that one quite a lot, but yesterday was up there with that. Um, I, just to quickly, before I, I go on to what I did, um, I on the way back on the train, I said, I, I watched it and said to Tim straight away, uh, it's keeper error, Been, he's beat the keeper at his front post, but it actually nutmegs, uh, I think it's uh, Pell, is it again, who's trying to, get a block and it megs him. So maybe the keeper was on. So I don't really care. Um, he did get a hand to it, but it didn't matter. Unfortunately, at that point, my brain told me that I was still 21. Um, I don't think that you can ever truly put, articulate properly what it feels like when you score a last minute goal um, that means something. If you could bottle that feeling, you'd be a, a squillionaire. Um, 
I took off down the steps like uh, an idiot, down to the players to to join in the celebrations. Um, my legs, my back, my ankles, and my shoulder all said, "What the are you doing, Mark?" Um, because getting back up those four steps was a lot more difficult than getting down them. Um. <laughs> But I wouldn't change it for the world. I live for moments like that. That's what it's all about. That's why we go to London. Um, that, that you know, I, I can't, I can't put it any, any better than that. That's why we do it. Those moments are what I live for. And uh, if we did it again tomorrow, I'd celebrate the same way. It was amazing. Um, and I know I'm just jumping ahead, but for as poor as we were, the the least enjoyable part of that game yesterday was the two or three minutes after that because I'm a crew mm. fan and I know what we're capable of. And the ground was silent. The away end was absolutely buzzing, you know, and you're thinking, please, please don't go and do something stupid now. You know, I was transfixed, just thinking, just a draw. With beating Forest Green last week, four points from two away games is more than acceptable. So you're thinking, it's a, it, we'll take it. I'll mm. take it now. Referee, blow the whistle. Please, please don't do anything stupid. And, and I'm sure you'll come on to mm. that. We almost did. Mm. Yeah, just before we do, um, there's a couple of points I want to make. So I asked uh, a few of you guys in the, the the regulars on the podcast about, you know, when has a goal, you know, been celebrated like that? Because even from my point of view, watching thousands of miles away down the telly, like, I, I don't really like missing crew games. I watch every single one on TV. Yesterday was the biggest FOMO I've had in quite a long time and I think part of that I made this point last week on the pod my family were pretty much all there I don't my mum and dad didn't travel down because they live in the northeast now uh, but my sister was there with her partner and their two boys and my brother and then to to have been in that away end with my little nephews when crew scored in the 99th minute to equalize and, and then to see the scenes and I could point to them and say see this is what it's all about this is crew Alexandra um, so yeah, I was a little bit gutted I missed that yesterday, but I had some people around for we, you know, we had some people on yesterday, and none of them are really football fans, and it did not stop me going berserk around the living room whilst they all sat on the sofa, could not care less between any of them. Uh, it was just quite funny. I got told off for scaring the dog. Um, that was so that you know, that was my uh that was what I was doing whilst everyone was jumping down the front. That video um, that was going around on social media of the filming before the goal went in and then as the celebrating. Mark, I think you're a starring role in that. Um, the best thing for that, for me, is when it ends just as Tabiner is like screaming down the camera because it means that much to him as well. Um, the other thing I do want to talk about, though, is Elliot Nevitt. Um what a signing, what a player. Uh, who is this guy we got in the summer? Because it's not the same player we had last year, is it? Um, the touch that he did that Darren referred to with his right foot to put on his left, it took two players out of the game. Um, he he looks like he's enjoying football. He looks like he's going to be a really good signing for us now, doesn't he? Now he's found his feet. And I think even even more credit to him in that he came on and he he hadn't really had much of an impact on the game. I think he'd barely touched the ball. So to be that alive and that on it when he'd not really had the best of introductions, I think speaks volumes for him. But we all know he never stops running. And I think that goal was a was a real product of it. Um, and I think he's really pushing now um, to take the place of CBR, to be honest. Yeah, because it was interesting, uh, Steve, after, um, 
after the match with Lee Bell's interview, he was hinting, wasn't he, that he deserves a start. So my reading of that was he's probably going to start next next Saturday. And um, I think he's our leading goal scorer now. I haven't checked, but I think I think I think I heard somebody say he's got four goals. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that goal yesterday, in a way, is becoming. Don't know what you guys think. It's becoming a bit of his trademark as well. It wasn't there the one against um, Newport and. I've forgotten the other two off the top of my head, but that strike, you know, from from distance with power, um, it seems to be that's that's what's in my mind when I think of him. That kind of goal. Yeah, it's the proper the way they try to make you play football when you're a kid. Laces strike it. The ball doesn't move. It's just absolutely hit. It's going in one direction. Uh, yeah, absolutely stunning. I think. Um... We've we've had two. We had a season that was horrendous, and then we had a kind of a a, a neither here nor there season last year. Um, and I think there's a feeling amongst crew fans, and certainly from me, I get the feeling that something's happening, something's brewing. You know, that this is the start of the next cycle. Don't want to get carried away, but I think that you can spend as much time as as you want at Reese's coaching tactics and and um and you know doing drills and putting on training sessions the one thing that you can't coach is team spirit and togetherness and, and you can engineer it i think you can have pre-seasons where you you go away as a group and you know david artel used to have him running around delamere forest i think carrying this and that um to to develop that team spirit but it's that that um that made that goal so important yesterday because it keeps it going. And that's, that's huge. That's why I celebrated the way I did. And I think, you know, amongst that, um, that melee that I found myself in of arms and legs waving around, I saw Conor O'Reardon come sprinting up in his tracksuit. Tom Booth was uh, jumping around like a fan punching the air. You know, it was that real togetherness. And, and after the final whistle had gone, there was a really lovely moment where the whole team came across that every away fan was still in the corner there was they were singing Lee Bell was actually singing along with the um uh putting on a show chant it was just brilliant and it, and it was all about I think it, it was so special because it keeps that that run going that belief going uh going into a home game so I think that was why it was celebrated from my point of view anyway uh to that extent I think I think you also have to factor in the last two the last time we had good seasons they were both heavily covid influenced weren't they so the promotion season was called off um the season the first season in league 1 we were barely in the grounds so actually it's been a very long while since we properly seen success we've had two mediocre se- one mediocre season one disastrous season then two covid influence seasons there's a lot of outpouring of relief and excitement because it's been a long while i think since we've seen a crew team like this in the flesh what mark said is because rationally when i when i because i tweeted in the heat of the moment you know that it was breath- breathtaking and spine tingling and you and when I look back this morning, I think, oh, did I, did I ever do it? Because I think, as a couple of people have said, you know, we didn't win the World Cup and it was a last-minute equaliser. It wasn't even a win at Wimbledon. So you think, well, rationally, an away draw. But I, I, there was something really special about it. And I think it's because it's part of something bigger. If it had just been a game in the middle of a bog-standard season where we got a last-minute goal, then so be it. But you just... I felt that it was really special to keep this comeback thing going three times from 2-0 down. And you just feel that 
there's something really special potentially happening. And so it was part of something bigger as well as the thing itself. And there had been that pent up emotion, I think, because of the the, the added on time um, messing up and the, the disallowed goal and everything. And right in front of the crew fans. And it, it, it was extra special, I think. Yeah, I think you've um, just answered the question that was going to be asked next, which is it, last week when we, I mean, let's be fair, we thumped Forest Green Rovers 4-1 away. That's a tremendous result. And on the podcast, I felt like I almost had to convince the three that were on us with us last year, like, sorry, last week, that it was really good. I felt like I had to work hard to convince them that it was really good. Whereas yesterday, we've just drawn at Wimbledon. We haven't won, but people seem to be happier about this than last week. And I think that is part of it. You know, it's this, it's almost becoming a self, self-fulfilling prophecy that crew will be behind at halftime and they will fight back and they will not lose the game. Uh, it it does feel, and I, we, you know, I, I, I understand that people hate using the word cycle because it means that there's going to be a down after the up. But I do feel the same as you, Mark. This is the, all of the signs are there for people that have watched crew for a number of years that this is the start of something really good. Lee Bell is building a really good squad, a really good team. It might not be this year, but hey, it might be. It, it genuinely might be. I think um, one of the most important factors within sport that's massively underestimated, certainly by people on the outside of it, is psychology. Um, if you remember when we were doing the season predictions, I said psychology was so important that for this group, we were being so young that if we started well, and it could lead to something. If we started badly, it could be a long old slog. Um, and from a psychological point of view, the crew fans and players left that ground yesterday feeling like it was a win. And Wimbledon fans outside walking away from the ground looked like they'd lost. And they will have felt like they lost. It was it, it, it felt like a win. It may as well have been a win. You know, the journey back on the train was much more enjoyable. And then I didn't go to Forest Green, but my Saturday night last week wasn't as good as this, this one. It's weird. But that's the psychology in it. Um, it did. And, and to go back to what you said, Darren, in that moment, in that, that second when the ball hit the back of the net and I jumped up, it may as well have been a World Cup final winner. It may as well have been. That's what it felt like. It was like the, the, the sense of relief and enjoyment is something that, you know, you, you can't get anywhere else. I don't think there's an, another scenario in the world that gives you a buzz like that. Um, so I, I, I don't, maybe maybe we did over-celebrate, but I think in the, the bigger picture, in the grand scheme of things, um, it was a justifiable uh, celebration. Um, Steve, um, this is the day after the night before, the afternoon before. Uh, we can look at it a bit more rationally now. Uh, one of the questions that we've that I've had come in a couple of times now is, rather than asking why a crew so strong in the second half, why are they so poor in the first half? Um, do you have an answer to either of those? What is it about the first half that we just don't get going? Or what is it about the second half that we do? Is it purely down to preparation or tactical tweaks what is it obviously it's a lot of the time tactical tweaks have saved us but then you ask the question if that tweak has saved us why don't we start with that tweak because obviously the background the back and um, the backroom team must know how the opposition are going to play um i honestly don't know and i'm sure that lee bell doesn't know either but the tweaks do help us but sometimes you have got to start to question well, why why are we not getting the I guess to flip it the other way, 
the question is, why do we not get the team selection right first time? There's probably hardly a game this season when we haven't changed um, changed our formation partway through. And because we've been behind in most of the games, that has changed the game. So maybe there is a question, what what is the best way for us to start? Because we always seem to have to change formation partway through, um, which doesn't really answer your question. Well, I think, it, to be fair to you, I think it's a difficult question. And if you knew the answer, you'd have emailed Lee Bell or, you know, got in touch with the club to say, maybe we could do this to stop giving teams two goal leads. I could quote all my extensive years experience on Football Manager. Um, I've done wonders and I'm sure they'd appreciate my advice. I um, I think it comes back to the same thing. I think it can only be psychological. The, the ability is no different in the players from one after the other. I think it's maybe they... Um, they enjoy coming from behind. They enjoy being the underdog. They enjoy having to fight back. I don't know. I mean, maybe I I'm, I was thinking on the train last night and I said to Tim on the way back, maybe Lee Bell should get a hypnotist in and hypnotise him in the tra- the dressing room before they go out and convince him it's half time. Um, because at some point we will put a, a performance together that lasts 90 minutes and we will wallop somebody. I think a key thing from yesterday actually is... Um... Two players in particular, one on the pitch, one not on the pitch. I thought Jack Powell's possibly worst game for us. And I think that actually shows us what an impact he's had on this side and that we couldn't get the ball down, we couldn't play. And perhaps it shows us in this sort of six, seven games we've had of this season, how pivotal he's become because without him pulling the strings, we looked bereft of ideas. And I also think the absence of someone like Shiloh Tracy in that, mm. in that first half, and we couldn't get a foothold. If he was in the, in the on the pitch, you just think, actually, and, we, and he's a real out ball for us, and he's a real miss. And I think those two signings um, have become really, really significant for us this season. And I think Tra- Tracy's absence yesterday proved that, and how poor Powell was and what an influence it's had also suggests that. One, one, one of my concerns always when we play a big man up there um, is that, that there's a temptation to whack it and I think we did that too much yesterday. Then they marshaled CBR perfectly. I don't think he won a header all afternoon. Um, but I, you know, before Darren jumps in, I'll I'll just say I do like that about Lee Bell that he, he will keep rolling the dice um, and trying to find a way. You know, I think if he thought that putting the goalkeeper up front for the last five minutes would work, he'd do it. You know, it, it, it's it's as I alluded to before. It's like well, we're in a mess. We might have got things wrong, but let's deal with it today and try and get a result, and then we'll go back to the drawing board on Monday. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that question, which is why I've, why I've kept quiet. Um, it might be, it might be an element of coincidence. It's not coincidence that we're coming back from being behind, because that's due to all the reasons that Mark, in particular, has been alluding to—the fantastic team spirit, etc. We might be, we might find that we go on a run of games without going behind. Now, you see what I mean, and that trend sort of ends. I think the only thing that was going through my mind before Steve was speaking was, I wonder if there's an element of truth in, um, whilst the management team have got a lot of credit, quite rightly, um, for the tactical changes they've made. And Ryan, I don't know, you guys may may know more. I don't have any contacts at the club. I only know what I see. But it looks like Ryan Dicker is a really important influence in terms of tactics during the game. And because I was behind the dugout yesterday, he's a very quiet, calm guy. Um, but he seems to be the mastermind tactically. And I noticed when Ryan Cooney came running over to the bench at one point, he went straight past Lee Bell to Ryan Dicker. So you get the feeling that Ryan Dicker is the guy who's sort of the tactical 
assessor, if you like, during the course of the game. But I just wonder whether we're a bit too clever by half sometimes. You, you feel like we're making so many changes. Not that, not that we get it wrong at the beginning, but just the very fact of all the changes in itself. When I was last on the podcast with um, after the Swindon game, I said that we conceded that second Swindon goal because the players, to me, didn't look like they knew what they were doing when they came out after the second half because we made some tactical changes. I don't know if that's the answer, though. It might, it might be. I think but it's... I, yeah. I think it's maybe a case... I'm going to use a football cliche now, and I don't like using them, but do you think sometimes it's horses for courses? In as much as the week before... He switched Rio out to the right wing and he was hailed the tactical genius, whether it was Belly or Ryan that, that did it. He started that way yesterday. So, you know, it's all right with the benefit of hindsight, but it's like, well, we may as well start yesterday as we finished last week. But Rio on the wing didn't work yesterday. You know, he's a left-back playing on the right wing. The, full, the, the defending fullback knows full well that he can't go outside him and get across him. Rio can't do that. He can't get across it on his right foot. So every time he gets the ball, he's going to come inside. So it didn't work. Um, so maybe it's, I, I, I don't, I'm the same as you guys. I don't know the answer, but it's very easy to be critical after the event. But I don't think many people would have been, I certainly wasn't uh, moaning that Rio started out there because it was effective the week before. So I think you, you, you're touching on something that's really important, Darren, and, you know, we are seeing that things aren't working and we're willing to change them. And, and if Ryan Dick is behind that, I mean, the, I, I know that crew fans were critical when he was appointed because it was a bit like, oh, well, what a shock. We've appointed from within again. But, you know, Lee Bell knows what's best for Lee Bell and, and the management team. And it's it's working. You know, mm. I don't think many people would ever have paired Dario Grady and Neil Baker together. They're two completely different characters, but it worked. Mm. Um Belly's the motivator and, and the, the man manager. And, and obviously um, you've got Ryan behind him who's, who's more tactical. So whatever they're doing, it, it appears to be working. And um, yeah. however it works, long may it continue. Because when it went, um, after all the pandemonium with the equaliser, if you watch it, well, I saw it, but Ryan Dicker was actually the one on the touchline telling the players... You know, a bit like you, what you said earlier, Mark, because I, I was really worried about the next two minutes because it was such a crazy game, wasn't it? And we nearly did lose it, didn't we? That yeah. guy followed it just over the bar. Um, and I thought something like that was going to happen. It just, I had that feeling. But he was the one, even in all the craziness, who, who had the calmness of mind to sort of talk to the players as they were going back to the halfway line, try and encourage them to get back into some kind of shape, um, you know, and see the game out. Um, I think... I'm impressed with him. You know, he seems like, as you say, Mike, he seems like a good good combination with Lee Bell. Um, seems to be very tactically astute, um, very calm. Well, it's going well so far, isn't it? So, we're, we're you know, long may it continue. Yeah, I'm going to finish the chat with Wimbledon. I just sort of come give an answer to my own question, really. I think that they say that dogs take on the mannerisms of their owners, don't they? And... Um, you know, I think the part of this crew team's resilience is simply down to the fact that Lee Bell is the manager, you know, and I'm I'm going to say this with zero disrespect meant because he's a, a million times better as a footballer than me, but he wasn't the most skillful. He wasn't the most, you know, uh, he wasn't Kenny Lunt, for example, get the ball, ping a pass, but he never gave up. And I think that it could just be as simple as that. The team has taken on his message, his mannerisms, that he doesn't give up as a player. He's not going to give up as a manager. And that's the players, that's the team that he wants. 
I couldn't agree more. I said it the other week. It, 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 the team epitomizes him as a player. He wasn't the most technically gifted, but he um, he was a winner. Hated losing. Um, and the last thing you want, I think, the last thing any football manager wants as a as an assistant is a yes man, because it's pointless. Um, I think you need someone that's going to say no, no, no. no. We, we, you know, to inject a little bit of um, of another opinion. Um, who sees things a bit differently. I think, you know, going back again to Dario and Neil Baker, it, I got the impression from speaking to players that likely that had played under him, there was an element of good cop, bad cop. You know, Dario was the the uh, authoritarian sort of figure and, and Bakes was the, you know, you can go to him with a problem. It's like, yeah, don't tell him. You know, I remember somebody telling me that they, they smashed a ball into the ceiling and smashed a light, you know, the, the plastic light cover. And Baker said, sweep that up before he comes in and we won't say any more about it. You know, it's that good cop, bad cop thing. And maybe there's element, an element of that. Maybe Belly is the motivator and obviously has the final say and and, and inspires these uh, never-say-die attitudes. And and you've got Mr Dicker sat behind him, who's the the, the one that's the technical thinker, and they, they make a good team. Maybe it just works. OK, uh, let's finish there with the Wimbledon chat and move on to the Colchester game coming up next weekend. First, though, we'll check in with the women's team who were away at Blackpool on Sunday. So, Mark, three points. Overall thoughts on the game today? Um, we're, uh, we were happy with the result today. Uh, we felt like we played really well in, in, in stages and periods. Um, the aim is to try and make that more consistent now and, and, and play that way over 90 minutes. But... Um, yeah, the girls did really well. Um, pitch was, was awkward to get to grips with, but some great finishes. Great to see Meg uh, Ragdale, as it is now, on the score sheet. That was class. And um, lots of minutes and lots of different um, types of, of a game experience for, for the young players. Great to see Ruby get a first goal for the club as well. Speaking of Meg, uh, her change changed the game. Subbed her off for Laura Garner. Subbed her on for Laura Garner, rather. Uh, made a big impact on the game. Yeah, she did, and um, we felt like, we all know what Laura can do, she's absolutely class, but we felt like um, the um, type of game um, we, 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 we wanted to play in the middle of the park, um, we needed more energy, um, so we changed it slightly. We dropped um, Ruby a little bit deeper and she played with, with Shez, and then um, you know Meg came in as a 10, and, and you know what Meg gives us in terms of athleticism, we covered so much more ground then, and I felt like that was probably the first time we got to grips with that middle of the park, it was probably like, when we did that, 30 minutes in. On team selection, a bit of a change today. Kirsty Stafford not being available. Em Edwards playing left back. How do you think she did? She did class. Um, we um, we spoke with Em um, before the game about uh, the requirements, and we spoke in the week leading up to the game about the requirements for um, playing left back. Uh, we looked at the who we had available to play there, and it was more a case of attributes. Who had the attributes, and Em had all of them. So. Again, she took probably 10, 15 minutes to get into the game and find her feet, but uh, possibly player of the match. I thought she was super. And finally, three goals, three good goals. Happy with all of them? Um, goals, yeah. I think defensively, probably gifted a little bit too much through, through complacency. Um, so we were quite fortunate that, that they probably didn't have the, the shooting boots on in that respect. But um, the goals were good. Um, Ruby's obviously, you know, Anybody that gets the first goal for the club and it's like 30 yard strike is going to take that. Meg was like one of them that um, it just shows the importance of being first to the ball. She's got a cross a man, been first to the ball, and uh, it was a great touch that's just looped over the keeper. Um, 
And Leah, we're really happy for her because she's a special player and is a little bit low on confidence, doesn't quite believe in herself, but we do, and we know she's, she's absolutely dynamite. So it's great to see her, her um, not only turn a defender inside out, but obviously put her down and, and slam it home. So, yeah, three good goals, and we've been working on that this week, you know, with, with the, the, the lack of goals last week, so that, that's pleasing. Um, nice little trip to the seaside. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Cheers, you and time, mate. Okay, Steve, uh, they say a good barometer uh, is if you win your home games, draw your away games, you'll be up and around it by the end of the season. Uh, we've had two away games where we've got four points. Next game, we're at home to Colchester. Are we optimistic that we can carry on with that uh, that good run of form? I'd like to think so. They've had a bit of a middling start um, to the season. Um, I think, obviously, we're very, very strong at home. Um, I remember we beat them last year in a quite dreadful game when I think we were absolutely awful um, and scored quite a late winner. Um, I'd anticipate it could be a little bit different um, at the weekend. Um, and they normally have some good... They're a, bit, they're a bit of a similar club to ours, aren't they, in terms of they've got a very strong academy and they produce lots of good young players. But I think they've sold their latest starlet to Stoke in the transfer window, just before the transfer window closed. Um I'd be looking to get a win. They've had a, they've had an average start, and I think we should be looking to kind of round off a really good week with a, with a home win. Yeah, Mark, they're sort of middle middle of the bottom half of the table. They have played a game less thanks to that bizarre waterlogged pitch on the opening day, uh, but they're only on seven points. Are you saying the same as Steve that they should be coming here and we should be confident that we'll get the three points? Of course, I'd like to think so, and I mean if you. Picking up points away from home and winning your home games, that's uh, promotion form. I think I'm going to use this opportunity as more of a, as an appeal. Um, just a reminder that with Crew Alex playing in League Two, and at some point we are going to lose a football match, um, whether it be away or at home. And I would just urge people when it does happen, just not to overreact. Um, it's, not, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's going to happen. This feel-good factor can't keep on. We can't keep... You know, I said to you before we started recording, Stu, this second art fight back um, scenario, it, it's not sustainable. We can't keep relying on coming back right at the end. Um, I hope we beat Colchester. We, you know, I hate using this term because it sounds so disrespectful for, to the other team, um, but I'm going to use it anyway and people will know what I mean. If we've got any aspirations to go up or finish in the playoffs, then we should be beating teams like Colchester at home. And I don't want that to come back and haunt me. Because uh, you're right, Steve, they're they a Cat 2 Academy club, um, very similar to us. So, um, But yeah, we're, we're back at home. We've got a superb home record. We want to keep that going. The pitch is still in immaculate condition. So uh, yeah, I, if you're going to ask me for a prediction shortly, I would be going for a home win. Okay, Darren, just to sort of wrap up this section, we've just been talking in the Wimbledon review about formations and things like that. Um, Colchester at home feels like an opportunity to have four at the back rather than five at the back, or is that going to lead to another tactical mistake that needs rectifying at half-time? I mean, it's a, I'm asking you a difficult question now, I suppose. No, I think you've, you've hit on something that um, I was going to say, which is it's one of those games where I think whether we, we win or not will depend on fundamentally what we do you know if we play as well as we have been playing particularly at home you know we're unbeaten for a long time then as Mark said you know I'm sure we we, we can win and, and we will win 
difficult to assess Colchester, isn't it? They picked up a little bit. I think they lost the first three games, including to Wimbledon. Um, and then they got that bizarre 3-0 win at Gillingham, giving Gillingham a top. And they've won one draw, one and lost one since. So they're a bit, it's a bit mixed. But I think what you're alluding at there, Stuart, is that fundamentally we should be on the front foot in this game. Going confident, but humble. Because um, the news that cliche, is not any easy games. But if we play well, I'm sure we, we can win. Just to jump in and play devil's advocate, and you're not going to thank me for this, Stu, because I'm going to steal your role now. Just to try and highlight the the tactical dilemma that the manager's got at the minute, when Zach Williams came on yesterday, he was superb. Mm. We are very blessed in that position this year at centre-half. Luke Offord, Mickey Dimitrio, Conor O'Reardon and Zach Williams. What would you guys do on Saturday? If Would you start with the three centre-halves or would you take one out and go to a back four? Because I, I'll tell you why I'm asking. Because I haven't got a clue. I really, if it was left to me and I was having to make that call this week, I don't know what I would do. I'd look at. I think you look at the personnel that's available. To me, when we when we had the three five two, the weakness was Tracy because he wasn't blessed. He he doesn't fit that ten role, does he? You want him a bit wider, running into space. So I think if he's fit and he is quite a significant player for us, I don't think the three five two suits him, um, and it's a bit of a waste of his attacking talents. Um, but I think I'd, I'd go with the four three three. I think you're rotating those two young lads. I think we've got to protect them. And I think Williams comes in. But who? I guess the question is, who does Williams come in with? Because you've got Dimitriou and Offord, who both done pretty well. Maybe you wouldn't want to see Zach Williams at left-back, because that does that then suggest Real's going to play right wing, which doesn't really work. Um, I don't know. I'd go 4-3-3, but, the per- but I guess the, part of the decision could be made if Connor's picked up that injury at the weekend as well. I'm going to answer your question, Mark, uh, by giving you two non-answers. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how to do it, how to procrastinate and uh, deflect questions like okay. a pro. Um, firstly, what a headache to have from the last few seasons that we've had. I mean, we tried to make the best of it a couple of seasons ago as a podcast, but Jesus Christ, that was hard watching every single week with some of those players, and they've gone, and the squad that we've got now is so much better uh, and the other one is um, these players Conor O'Reid and Zach Williams they've just got to be happy that they're going to end the season with about 30 games and if I were Lee Bell I'd tell them that look they're not going to play every minute of every game but they're young lads you know Zach Williams it would be detrimental to his development at the age that he is for him to play every minute of every game and I would say the same for Conor O'Reardon with his uh, you know he's, he's been injured a few times so um the answer is Lee Bell's in charge. Lee Bell makes the decision. And if you're not happy this week, there's a chance next week that you'll get back in. Um, that's the answer. Darren? No, I've just told you, Mark. That's the answer. <laughs> I still want to know what Darren would do. I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with the boss. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you, you know, Steve, your point's a very, very good one. Um, Shiloh makes it. If Shiloh's fit, it's 4-3-3 and he's out wide every single time. Whoever you have to leave out, out of the, the back three. Um, and and I, it's something I hadn't considered, but you, you make a very good point, Stu. It's good doing your job. I think I'm going to do it from now on. 
Um, yeah, you often it, tell me I'm in the wrong job here. You often tell me <laughs> I should be one make of the a really good point about the, the rotation. It's something, you know, you can, you, I think it's okay to say to players, you aren't going to play every week and we are going to rotate you. I think that's okay. Yeah. All right. Do you want to do the next link, Mark? Or do you want, no, not, do you want... at all. not at all. All right. Uh, so, Mark, you've already told us that you think we're going to win. What's the score going to be? 2 1 crew. Darren? First clean sheet, 2 0. Steve? I'm not sure if he still plays for them, but if he still plays for them, John Akindi scores first. We come back to win 2 1. Oh, I can't believe you brought him up. That's flashbacks to their place away last season. Okay. Uh, I spoke to Cy, the Colchester fan, to get their perspective on how the season has started. Hi, Cy. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me on again. Always good to talk. Not a problem. Uh, last time you were on with Tim, I think, and I think we made the point that you were the only international footballer we'd ever had on as our opposition fan. Um, I think I just let you know that that's still a title that is still yours and yours alone. Uh, so, you know, well done on that one. I'll keep that. That's all right. At least that's one thing to say. I've got one win this year then. <laughs> right. OK, let's start with Colchester then. Um, I think they they seem, and I'm going to ask you what your perception is as a Colchester fan. They seem to be one of the teams that it doesn't matter who the manager is, what players they are, what division they're in even. Uh, they seem to always sort of be perennially tipped to struggle. Um, is that your perception as well? And do you think that's fair going into this season that we just started? Uh, to be fair, it is fair. And it's one of those that is not necessarily smoke without fire kind of thing, or fire without smoke, however you want to phrase it, because we have struggled. Even when we've had squads on paper that should have been decent, you know, got these okay managers in, we have struggled with fouls to find that formula that projects forward. Then at times there's been issues off the pitch with fans and chairman sort of falling out and maybe not quite going as we'd hoped to have gone over the pandemic had an effect on what, how Robbie saw the club being run, how maybe the fans thought the club should have been run was a little bit of a tangent. So it's frustrating as it is at times, because I do think we get overlooked even when we have got good squads. There is an element of, well, we we've kind of made a broad throwing back a little bit so therefore we do need to show people this isn't the case anymore but then on the flip side I suppose at least being a no one in anyone's eyes does give the kind of go on the radar a little bit that's what I'm hoping is going to happen this season really we're going to start picking up form stay strong and then suddenly people are like bloody hell cultures where they how they come from what they're doing the top half table what they doing the top 10 kind of and so on and so forth let's talk about this season then uh, i think for most people myself included uh the biggest thing that i've heard about colchester this season is the game on the opening day called off for a waterlogged pitch um how has the season gone since that point so far so it's been a bit it started off a bit here miss and you know that that was another thing it doesn't help sort of the club's reputation again Nothing we could have done. The covers would already been off at that point, and it was biblical rain that came down. But the fact that all the fans were in the ground, and it obviously Swindon fans have travelled first game of the season. Everyone's got their hopes, opportunity. You know, everyone's optimistic. Out of nowhere, games off. You know, the first game in history of professional football that's been called off the first day of the season due to waterlogged pitch. It's like Jesus, what? It had to be Colchester, didn't it? Um, yeah, the. So, but I, I do think that had a knock-on effect. So we went to Cardiff the following week, 
in the EFL tr- Cup. Went 2-0 down very early. I was like, oh, God, here we go. But brought that back to 2-all, lost on penalties, which wasn't wasn't too bad. And then it, it just took us a while to get our league form going. I think it was a little bit of a kind of... They had everything planned, how they were going to play the games and the teams, etc. to be named. But having that game called off sort of threw a little bit of a spare in the works. So it took us to Gillingham to get the our first win. Also, they weren't beaten. Went and beat them 3-0. Fantastic. And then... Went and back that up with an absolutely feeble performance at Warsaw. Come back. So, yeah, it's been a bit hit but I think we are finding form now. He dominates his Tranmere last weekend. Got a draw with Mansfield this weekend, where we should have won, to be fair. They're unbeaten, obviously, but we've won, I felt more like two points lost than a point gained this weekend, which is nice that we're coming away from games feeling that now, whereas last season or season before it had been like, bloody hell, I'll, take, I'll rip anyone's hand off for a point. Now there's obviously negative surrounding the result. So I think it shows performance improvements across the board and a new sort of found optimism around the club. Okay, let's talk about players then. Um, I've got a bit of a weird quirk that, or weird statistic I've noticed about Colchester. Um, if a player has scored for Colchester this season, they don't have any assists and then vice versa. If a player has any assists, they haven't scored a goal. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there's five players that have scored four players that have got assists and they're all different players. Um, one player that does catch the eye is Joseph Taylor. He's got six goals already this season. Is he the star man or is there some others that are missing out there? There are some others that are missing out from that, but you, with the way football is, you're always going to see goal scorers and it's always going to be the, you know, the big talked about player. He has hit the ground running. We've been crying out for an out-and-out striker knows the back of the net is for years. I think finally in him, we've found the 20-goal season striker. But as with everything, Colu, there's always the kind of the underlying but. He is only on loan from Luton. A lot of the Luton fans felt that he should be allowed to stay and push for a place in their Premier League side. They were a bit upset and surprised we they let him go to down to League 2. So he's got his reasons for coming here where he wants, just wants to score goals and get a lot of match time and really show his potential. I don't know. But watching some of the Luton games, and they've had a couple so far, they're struggling to realise where the back of the net is. If they've got a player that's politically done well, low down the league, scored, yes, it was disallowed at their playoff final game, shows you can do it under pressure. Are they going to look to call him back? In, to put more pressure on their strikers to give place for competition. And so there's that worry that he could be doing really well up until Christmas and then disappear in January. But on the other players that do well, Jaden Fevier, youth academy products come through. He's got a, a fair few assists this season. You know, he's, he's unplayable at times. He's, just, he's confident he'll take players on. He's got unlimited energies everywhere on the pitch. Played predominantly a wing back, but you know, he's not scared to get stuck in going over the place. Goodman, another goalkeeper, got him on loan for Palace. Just been away with England under-20s. Got good, very good potential, highly rated. So he's another one that hopefully will be good for us to stay this season. And the latest one, Zach Mitchell from Charlton. Only 18 years old, centre-back. You would not realise how young he is. His confidence, his ability, his understanding of the game is second to none. Which is handy because another one we had, Nico Lawrence, from Southampton, was playing really well, then got seriously injured up at Gillingham. So he's out. So Mitchell's come in to replace him. So we've done well on the loan market. Not too badly on signs we've made. 
And yeah, we have got Joe Taylor. He's the star man. He's one that everyone's going to look at, without a doubt. But there's a scattering across the team for players that are playing well, can stick him with goals, can stick him with assists. So though we will lean heavily on him for goals, if he does go a few games without you know, scoring or get a bit of drought or pick up a knock or something. It's not the end of the world as it could be if we were literally a one-man band. So you've got uh, Ben Garner is the current manager at Colchester. What sort of style does he look to play with this team? So we're playing very much, and this is no disrespect to the lads or Ben Garner or, you know, I love the club. But at times, if you imagine Man City, you've ordered from Wish. That's kind of where we're going. Yeah, we we try to play out from the back in a controlled tempo, move the ball confidently, nothing's rushed, just looking for the opening. So then as soon as the opening appears, make the right moves, a few quick passes, Arthur Reed, twice two games in a row now has done this, received the ball, looked up, Taylor's free, played the ball through, Taylor's gone and scored. But having a patient build up with a quick attack. So, yeah, that's kind of how we're doing. Playing three at the back, playing with wing-backs. And it seems to suit the players Garden's got. It suits the style. We're playing nice football. It's a joy to watch. And you actually go to games looking forward to watching the team play. It's not just going to be a game of hoofball. Oh, God, let's scrape a win together, see how it goes. It is. We've got we've got a cold U way. And even in pre-season, you still Garden's building. We played that way. You built the minutes up. We did everything you'd expect. Whereas other years... We've gone into season, played every preseason game different formation. No one knows what's going on. There's no set style. There's no, we don't play our way. We change the teams we play against, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas it seems Garden's like, right, this is how we're playing. I don't care if we're playing Cardiff or Carlisle. We are going to play this way and other teams are going to have to adapt their game for us, not vice versa. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions for you and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, you said at the start of this chat that, you know, if, if Colchester were able to pick up form, creep into the top half, creep into the top 10 and go unnoticed, that's great for you. Uh, how likely do you think that's going to be? Uh, where do you think you're going to finish? And what's the score going to be on Saturday? Throughout pre-season, being the seasons people I've spoken to, and you know, my, I personally think we're going to finish between 8th and 12th this year. And it's going to be a good spring ball to maybe keep some of the loan signings permanently or attract, if the loan signings go back, attract other players. Yeah, good foundation this season. And the next year, really push on to playoffs or automatic promotion. I know if you, that's what every fan says and wants, but I do generally feel that Garden's ball, a baseline style and ideas to the club and philosophy that can be built upon very, very well. So it's a case of Stabilise the ship, so to speak, so we get out of this whole, oh, it's Cody Colchester. Oh, sorry, we'll be Colchester. They're going to struggle. Become an you know, established League Two top-half team, which was, should be easily with this squad. And then next season, they're right, this is the benchmark. We're now going to go one, two better and really push on forward. So Gardner's changed the mentality of the club, both backroom and with the fans and the players and everything. So... He definitely knows where he wants the club to go. The chairman seems to be backing him, so he seems to agree and wants knows where he wants it to go. So that's I think that's where we should aim to be finishing this year. Anything higher, fantastic. I think anything lower, people are also asking questions. And Garner could well be under a bit of pressure when the chairman's backed him, giving him all he's really asked for. Um, score. Yeah, it's a tough one. Could we played well this week? Nine times out of ten, we know could we go away and we played badly. So you would look to be favourable few guys. I think if we show up on our game 
on the day with the players, we could quite comfortably win 2-3-0. But it's a big but. It does come down at times to which Cole side turns up. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 win. Be positive. All right, Sai, thank you so much for your time. No time at all, buddy. Always good to talk. Okay, just to finish off then this week, uh, Steve, I'll come to you. Two contract announcements in two days. I think it was Thursday, Friday. Uh, youngster we've not seen really in the first team yet. Aegis and then Tabata on Friday. Both committed to long-term contracts. Both excellent news. I think after looking back over the years when we've we've made errors with contracts and haven't been as proactive as we should be, going back to previous managers and we've lost players. Um, I think it's really good, positive forward thinking. It's a brilliant reward for Tabana for the um, for the strides he's made. If you go back to about a year ago, he was in and around the team. But I think as the season went on, he went from that to a regular, which is what he is now. And I think he deserves that reward. And the other young lad, Aegis, um, who I saw um, in the Pizza Cup game, made a really, really good impression. I think Neil mentioned him last week. Um, could have had a couple of goals. He didn't. But actually, for a pro debut, okay, it's in a kind of meaningless competition, but it's still a local derby. He made a real impact and he had a real eye for getting in those positions. So though I've not seen much of him, it, he looked like a really promising um, young prospect. They're, they're quite long contracts as well, especially for League Two and for Crew. We don't often hand out big contracts, you know, 2026. 20, Darren, this, uh, we've talked about it again earlier in the podcast, but these are signs that feelings at the club are good. People are in happy places. They want to be there. They want to stay there and they want to do well for Crew Alexandra, don't they? Absolutely right. And if you look at the um, interview that Joe Tabner gave after signing his contract, one of the things he said was um, about the number of exciting young players that were coming through and that he wanted to be part of it. Um, so I think you're, you're right, uh, Stuart, that's, that's, that's a really exciting thing. There seems to be a lot of good young players coming through and it's interesting that he himself mentioned that um, when he was giving that interview after signing the contract. Um, I don't know the answer to this. Um, I don't know if anyone does know the answer to this, but one of the things we saw with the last sort of golden crop that came through, Perry NG, Ryan Wintle, Pickering, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was release fees and clauses. Um, I don't believe there's any in this one. Um, Mark, I'm not going to ask you if that's right or not, but have the, like, it, it's showing us that the club, the people in charge, they're learning and they're growing into these uh, roles that they've got, getting these players tied down early to long-term deals where, you know, by the time that contract's up, we'll either be in the championship or he'll be off to a different club playing in the championship, Joel Tabernow, I'd imagine. You can read into this as you will. I am reliably informed that neither contract has a release clause in. Um, I know when we took uh, Alex Morris on as manager and then obviously there was the uh, the controversy about not doing an external process and Lee Bell got the job. There was a lot of criticism and there was a, a lot of calls from fans that, that it should be given to someone from, I'm using their quotes, the outside. Well, this is the argument against it. This is why we have a manager that's come through the system himself. Who better to trust than somebody that's actually lived and breathed the experience himself? Um, I, I think it's perfect. I, I get as much of a buzz 
when the club tweets out that someone like Joel Tabner has signed a long-term contract, as I do on transfer deadline day when we sign someone from from somewhere else. It's so important to the, the football club. And, you know, I think it it also encourages the domino effect. I think the other young players will look at Tabner that's, you know, one of the best talents. Um, and a, there is interest in him from bigger clubs already, so I'm told. And they're looking and thinking, well, if he's willing to commit and he trusts the process, then I'm going to sign as well. I'm going to, I want to be a part of this. And I think, you know, I would, I would hope that in the not too distant past, the likes of Lee Bell and Alex Morris and Randicka were saying to Joel Tabner, you, you know, you get in the, the, we'll offer you a professional contract. And when you get in the first team and start making a difference, we will give you a better contract. And they've held up their end of the bargain and done it. And it encourages that trust um, right the way through the club, right the way down to the under nines. You know, they're seeing this as well and, and thinking, I want that. So everything's, you know, all is well in the world, I think, at the moment at Crew Alex. Uh, and, and I hope it continues. I'm going to finish with one final question and I'm going to be um, a bit of devil's advocate. Um, does this show, Steve... Uh, an unfair preference at the club for the academy players because Jack Powell, as you said earlier, has been one of the standout players this season. He's not an academy player. Is he going to get offered this long-term award or is that only exclusively for the academy players? I don't think it's exclusive to the academy players. I think Jack Powell is kind of late late 20s, I believe. Um, And we as a club are not in the business of giving someone of that age a contract as long as that. And I think we recognise that Tabin has come through our, our system. He's a young lad. He's really talented. And we need to tie him to a deal. I think it's more age-related as opposed to um, any academy bias, personally. He got, he got given a two-year deal with the option of a third, didn't he? Because I think mm. the option of the third was the sticking point. I think that was the negotiation because he, he was moving from the south. He was going to bring his family and kids up here and he wanted that extra security of that extra year, you know, because it's such a big move. These kids are only young, so they're changing school. Um, so, I, you know, I, I sound like I'm just waxing lyrical about him all the time, but, but I think it's a feather in the manager's cap. He's, his recruitment's been as good as his ability to retain our own. So um, I think the contracts will will reflect the, uh, the ability of some of the players that he's brought in in good time. I would hope so anyway. The only thing I'd add, and uh, I have no contact with the club, but I did actually overhear something somewhere, and I won't reveal where, in relation to Jack Powell, and that is that um, one of the things that motivated him to come to Crew was because of the age he is, and he's thinking about beyond his playing career, and because Crew have got such a good um, reputation in terms of coaching and coaches, um, he, he might be thinking about um, his post-playing career. Because you do look at it and you think, as you say, Mark, you know, moving from the south, Crawley, wasn't it, to the north? You know, what motivated him to do that? League two to League two. Um, and I, I got an inkling that it might be, yes, about now, but also about the future. And actually, when you look at the way he behaves, I noticed when he got substituted yesterday, very good with the other players when he comes off. Do you know what I mean? There's no tantrums or whatever. And he goes out of his way to, he went all around the dugout you know, shaking the hands of everybody. So he's he's got that kind of leadership, managerial mentality, maturity. He made a, he made a, a very um, deliberate effort when they first ran out of the tunnel yesterday 
to come over and applaud the away fans on his own. Um, so I think you're quite you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, I'm glad you've reminded me actually because um, I can't remember if it was Mark or Steve when we were talking about the the equaliser on Saturday. Uh, mentioned like oh Reardon, even though he'd been subbed off, Tom Booth, even though he didn't get on the pitch, Jack Powell was in amongst it as well. Um, so you know he has come in with a fantastic uh, attitude. I've been really impressed with him. Um, I do agree with Steve. Yes, there was one of his weaker games, but I've got all the time in the world for him as a footballer. Um, so yeah, I, I think what we're saying is completely spot on. That you know he's there and he's doing really well. Last point because this is something else I missed from Wimbledon. Um, 600 and a bit fans yesterday in the away end. Steve, I know it was just down the road for you, uh, being a, a Southern Red, but that's a fantastic commitment, isn't it, on a Saturday afternoon to get 600 plus in London? I think it shows you um, the kind of spirit of where we're at at the moment. And I think there's, there's, I think a lot of us have mentioned in the pod today, there is a wave of almost enthusiasm now and belief um, that. The, the good the good times could be returning and that there are lots of positive signs that we're getting the club back to where we want the club to be after those kind of number of difficult years for, for a variety of different reasons. And I think that probably is shown in the number of fans we, we got in the ground yesterday. But obviously, you know, we can't lie and ignore it. Being a fiver ticket also helped. I think one, one thing to point out that's important as well is that... Um, for whatever reason, I never quite understand it, but the, the Wimbledon stew was very anal in terms of you had to sit in your allocated seat yesterday. You couldn't sit where you wanted, which is usually the norm when you go away. And what, what that means is that the people who want to sing and make a noise generally congregate together. And that wasn't possible yesterday. But I can assure you at the end, I don't think there was a fan in that way and it wasn't singing. Um, you wouldn't have thought that we were all spread out. It was uh, it was brilliant. And you're right, it's, it's that feel-good factor again. I think I think they tried that at first. By the time I got in there, they'd given up, and I just sat where I wanted. All right, okay. <laughs> you rebel. Okay. Uh, on that note of positivity, I think we will end it for another week. So, Darren, Mark, and Steve, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, as ever, for listening. We will be back next week with our look back at the Colchester game. Until then. Goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.